So we're in that situation, that, that drop zone, where neither science nor the Bible give us the answer. And in one sense, we don't have to know how in order to affirm that. We can affirm that it is fact. We are all sinners subject to death in need of salvation, even if we can't explain the how that took place. So, and I'm no different. I, I, I mean, there are people who try to formulate models, various possibilities of how that could work, and there are a number of models out there. Most churches have the tradition of Augustine's model, where sin sort of crept into uh, to us and was passed down parents to children. Okay, but of course he doesn't know anything about biology or genetics, and uh, biology and genetics have made a lot of changes with regard to how we think about all those things. So Augustine doesn't have the authority of the text behind him. He's doing his best to come up with a model. And again, it's one that's been accepted for a long time, but it's one that's increasingly coming under, so under some question. Are there other questions? That was a long way of saying I don't know, wasn't it? Thanks for being here. Um, I said a question. So I think a lot of what you talk about, um, you know, separates material creation from um, the order and and. But then you talk about um, so it opens the door to a lot of different theories in terms of science on on you know the actual material nature of creation. And I think uh, a lot of what you're talking about is is designed to you know open the door for different theories. But then you you very much say you refer to them uh, in terms of of the Christian scientists and and those that believe in the theory of evolution and I was just curious what what and being careful because I know that it, it seems like a lot of what you're doing is designed to say hey we don't we don't have to know the answer but you probably have feelings and I was just really curious as you talk what your feelings on those things are yeah. I I have very happily identify with an old earth. Um, the, it's a much, much more problematic to try to identify with an evolutionary model or not because of course evolutionary model is now a very complicated thing and it's changing all the time. So it's a changing target. Um, so I don't identify myself that way. Uh, what I do, the work with in the Bible, because again, I'm not a science person, my work in the Bible says that if someone's inclined to be persuaded by an evolutionary model, there's nothing in the Bible that's going to stop that or get in the way of that. And I'm content at being at that point right now. Um, again, uh, full disclosure, I'm on the advisory board of Biologos, which is an organization that uh, promotes evolutionary creation. Um, yet at the same time, there's a wide range of possibilities within that organization, and I'm there as a Bible spokesperson not as a scientist. So uh, I don't mean that to be a dodge, but I just want to be careful. Um, so that's, I deal with the biblical material. You know, if you want uh, some of the other information, um, Francis Collins' book, The Language of God, is very important. Francis Collins, the current head of the NIH, uh, the head of the Human Genome Project, um, a very highly respected scientist and a very committed, devoted, passionate Christian. Um, so that's something that, that helps. Um, we've got this, how I changed my mind about evolution. This basically has stories, 
people's personal stories, and by people here I mean scientists and theologians and pastors and culture watchers and religious leaders, um, all giving their story about how they um, changed their mind about evolution. Um, there's a recent book called Creation, Evolution, and Intelligent Design. just came out six days ago. Um, and in this, there it's the primary figures of each of the four major organizations. Ken Ham for Young Earth, uh, Hugh Ross for Reasons to Believe, which is Old Earth, No Evolution, Stephen Meyer for Intelligent Design in the Discovery Institute, and Deb Harzma, who's president of BioLogos for Evolutionary Creation. This is a book that kind of at least lays out those positions. So again, I, um, I try to stick with the Bible stuff and um, present that. Thanks. You talked about the six days of creation. Um, you mentioned that, uh, like, there weren't any specific acts of creating, like, material things during those days. Um, but most people read it as things being created because he mentions the, or they mention the things that are created on each day. So I was just wondering again, like, I know you you explained it, um, but I guess I didn't I didn't quite get like why. Um, you interpret it as those things not being created, those specific things that are mentioned mm -hmm. on each day not being created in their physical material mm -hmm. form. Yeah. Again, I, I, um, I look at this as giving a vision statement for the identity of the cosmos. So that talks about all the parts of the cosmos and how they function to bring order. Okay, so day one, we said, talks about time. That's bringing order. Um, it's not even suggesting time originated on day one. It's the idea that day one is focused on how God brought order of time. Day two talks about the, the firmament uh, and creating a space in which people live. That's not material. It's empty space, but people live there in that space. Again, that's what God provided for it to function. Day three talks about the idea that plants are going to grow. God doesn't make plants. He doesn't even make the dry land. He says, let it emerge. And so the idea that this is how this world functions for people, uh, that these plants are going to grow. Day four talks about the heavenly bodies, sun, moon, and stars. And it says God made them. And that sounds like it's doing the material act. But the problem is the Israelites wouldn't have read it that way because they don't know that the sun, moon, and stars are objects. They don't know that the sun's a burning ball of gas or that the moon's a rock in orbit reflecting the light of the sun or that the stars are just suns further away. They don't know any of that. All they know is exactly what they say. They're lights. And they're lights that have certain functions. So again, even though it looks to us like God creating objects, that's our cultural river, not theirs. Day five, it doesn't even say that God created the birds and the fish. He says, let them swarm. Let them crawl around the earth. So that's, that's the point I'm making, that he's describing how he has set it up to functionally work for human beings, rather than describing the actual material manufacturing. Thank you. This is very interesting. Um, I think next time you come, maybe you can bring a therapist to help all of us with 
handling uncertainty because <laughs> I thought I would know more answers and I now have more questions, but I think that was very interesting. My question though is, um, you know, the, the, the scriptures that talk about kind of being made in God's image and maybe that being an archetypal for all of humanity, H how does your interpretation of scripture work through that and the idea that we're higher than the animals or maybe you don't think that? Well, again, I treat the image of God as a task, a vocation, a mission that God has given humanity. That is subdue and rule. That comes right after the image of God. Subdue and rule. That's what we're supposed to do. That is, we are recruited, made to be working alongside of God as he continues to bring order. Okay? He's working, so sub uh, vice regent kind of idea. Uh, we're working a lot. We were designed to work along God. He brought it to an optimal point of order and then created us in his image to continue the ordering process. And that's what the image of God is all about, us doing that task. We serve as his representatives in doing that. It gives us an identity and therefore different from the animals. The animals aren't bringing order. They're being ordered. Okay, and so in all of that, we are serving along God in that role. Follow up. I would think so, yes. There's some point at which God designates the humanity of that time as his image. Just like there's a point at which God designates Abram as the covenant, the covenant bearer. God designates David as, as the king. You know, God does this. He steps in and makes certain identities. Thanks. So just to so sorry. Uh, so just to clarify, then can't that seminal moment be? the six days of, or the seven days of creation to where, because if we're going to go back to the, to the object, to the physical object, so if we're separating the, you know, that from the creation story and, and from creating the order, if you go a week before creation, or there weren't weeks, but if you go to some time frame before creation, before it happened, we're opening the door to say, okay, there were physical objects there, and there may have been life, and there may have been animals or, or even humans and and then wouldn't the logical progression be to say that well the seminal event that made humans human was creation itself the seminal event that makes them human is them being given the image of God now how long or how short after their material origin that might be we're not told uh, but that is what we are again identity so it's giving us that sense of what role we have and what tasks we have, and that is connected to all of this world that God set up to work for us. Again, if I, if I develop the mission statement idea a little better, um, you know, I teach at the grad school at Wheaton. The grad school's existed for over 60 years. A couple years ago, somebody said, hey, we don't have a mission statement for the grad school. We need to get us a mission statement. And so there's committees and meetings and wording and this and that. You know how it all goes if you work in business at all. And there, 
so there we are trying to come up with a mission. And so after a year going through the hoops and the process and administration, finally we haul out this mission statement. Okay, this is what we are. This is what we do. Did anything change? Well, no, not, not really. We still had the same curriculum, the same professors, the same students, the same courses. The same, you know, that didn't change. What changed was how we thought about ourselves, our identity, because now we had something to, to nail it to. Now, in that kind of context, you could say, and here is the mission of the graduate school. The curriculum does this. You know, and they set up the curriculum to work this way, and they set up the professors with this in mind, and they set up the facilities, right? It's not like they're setting them up right now. They're saying how all of those things work for this mission statement, which is newly minted. Okay, so the image of God is the newly minted part. And all of these other things feed into that. That's just one possible way of thinking through it. Yes? Hi. A uh, question regarding the seventh day rest. <coughs> you talked about that's more of a day that he came down and blessed it. Um, so we think about rest differently. So then how should we think about honoring the Sabbath? Um, do we think about it differently than how we observe it now? Is this mm -hmm. more of our, our cultural river and how we observe it in our thoughts around it? Good, thank you. I used to put that in the presentation, but I found that if I left it out, people would always ask the question anyway. And that just gives me extra time. So um, the <laughs> uh, we've made the mistake. See, since we've misunderstood rest and we think it's leisure or naps or inactivity or relaxation, since we've misunderstood it, then we have no hope of figuring out what we're supposed to do to observe the Sabbath. We broadly think of it in imitation. Well, God took a break, so I'm supposed to take a break. Oh, man, I wanted to get some work done today or whatever. We think of it as imitation. And that's because in the Ten Commandments, it talks about, you know, six days you should labor and the seventh day you shouldn't labor because in six days God created the heavens and the earth. And we think in imitation. The alternate term we should use is not imitation, but participation. That is, on the seventh day is a day that we recognize God is ruling. It's a day we recognize that God brings order to our world and to our lives, that we are supposed to stop bringing order for ourselves on that day. This is not about you. Stop thinking that you order your own world. Set it aside. And that frees you to understand that God is the order bringer. And we participate in his ordering, in his kingdom order. We participate in it by recognizing his role and repudiating our own. Okay, so in that sense, it's just as important to not do our regular everyday work by which we order our world. It's also important to put aside our anxieties that come along with that. I don't know if some of you remember the great movie, What About Bob? And um, if you remember, he's told, you need a vacation from your problems. Yes, that really strikes a chord with him. A vacation from my problems. That's kind of what Sabbath is supposed to be. Put your anxieties aside. God's in control. And it also gives us freedom. Remember the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy don't refer back to creation. They say, you were slaves in Egypt, and God brought you out with a mighty arm. And so it gives you freedom 
to be God's people, to live life as God's people. So it's all about participation, not about imitation. And I think that can help us think much more clearly about um, observing the Sabbath. One last question. Okay. So when I think about um, the cultural streams, um, you know, I think you can you can get pretty wrapped up in that, and you know, think we don't stand a chance of getting anything. Or part of me goes to this place where I think, you know, is are you are, is there any effort to quantify like, you know, if if you don't understand the cultural streams, then you'll miss eighty percent of Job, but only twenty percent of Hebrews, or, or is there any kind of, uh, you know, it's like how much are we missing when we take for granted that our cultures are somewhat different or very different, or how different are they, and that kind of thing? Well, since we have recently celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, it's good to remind ourselves of how the Reformers talked about the fact that they wanted to have the Bible available to, to anyone in their own language so that they could interact with it on their own. And that was an important concept, uh, that any of us can read the Bible and receive the message of God, uh, that it's not some mystical thing that only the priests can sort out, but it's there for us to read. And that's true, but it also pertains to the larger theological message of the text, uh, the idea to recognize uh, who God is, what he has done in the world, how he is working out plans and purposes through Israel, through his church, through us, and how we can participate. Those general issues are there for anybody to get, and that's the most important stuff to get. Okay? That concept of scripture available to everyone didn't suggest that any person of any level of education or any level of intelligence or any level of spirituality could get the same kind of meaning out of a text than a trained professional would get. And the, the reformers made that clear because they wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volumes of commentaries and theologies that they did not for a moment believe that anyone could get just reading the Bible on their own. Okay? And so we have, that, we have that awkward mix. Uh, there's plenty that we can get on our own, and all the things that are really important we can get on our own. Again, the problem often comes when we fail to draw the line that would prevent us from reading our own culture into the text. And even if you don't know much about ancient culture, you can spot lots of that and know that you're doing it. Okay, and so in, in that sense, um, you know, I, no, I can't put quantify it, I can't put a percentage on it. Um, but the more, um, the more complicated the text is, the more problematic it's going to be. And, you know, a final example. I'm not handy at all around the house. I mean, disaster. Okay, so plumbing. I mean, I know how plumbing works. There's a water supply that comes from the city, and there are pipes and, and some valves that bring it into the house, and there's the, you know, the handles that we turn on our, our sinks and bathtubs that make it work. Great, I understand that. Okay, now if something goes wrong with the plumbing in the house, okay, uh, there are a couple basic things I could probably do. 
you know, I might even be able to take a pipe joint apart and, and try to put in something that'll seal it better. But I, I reach my limit pretty quick of what I can do. So I end up calling the plumber. So the plumber comes in. Um, and sometimes the plumber will pull out some handy dandy tool and zoom, 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 he's got it all fixed up. And my response is, if I had a handy dandy tool like that, I could have done that. Okay, but I don't have, I didn't know about that handy dandy tool and so I, I couldn't do that. Okay, there are other times the plumber comes in and basically says, your whole system is scrap metal. I mean, there's nothing salvageable here. I can't do that myself. You know, and it really depends on the problem. It depends on the situation. Whether A, I could do it myself, B, if I got some better tools, I could do it, or C, whether I have to depend on someone who really knows what they're doing to straighten that one out. And we have the same kinds of things as we work through the Bible. There's stuff, plenty of stuff that you can do on your own. And there's some things that the right tool, you know, some of the books that are written, the resources that are available, the right tool could, could clear the way for you. But every once in a while, there are those things that are just so complicated, you need somebody with some training to help sort it out. And that's really no problem for us to depend on people who are specialists, because that's what the body of Christ is. We all depend on other people who are exercising their gifts to do things that we can't do. And scholarship's one of those places. Uh, I rely on a whole lot of other people with specialties in the church to, to serve the church that work to my benefit. And I hope to kick in a little bit myself to help other people on things that maybe they don't have the training in. That's how the church works. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't resist that. We shouldn't resent it. Uh, we all let everybody do what they're gifted to do. And so that's, that's how we proceed. So thank you all. Thank you for your questions and your attentiveness. And I'm so thankful, John, that God gifted you as a teacher and you're able to join us today. And um, I'd like to close in prayer for us and for John and his work. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name above all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? But you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We pray, Jesus, that your spirit will work in our hearts and minds to continue to form us to be people who look like the images you made us into as we participate in your freeing activity through the world and your creative activity through the world. We thank you for John and his presence with us today. And we thank you for opportunities to learn about this cultural river from which scripture came, which is so far from us. But we thank you for the scholars who've been working for 150 years and trying to help us understand this better. And may this make us people who 
look more like you, Jesus, and who follow you closer. closer. We ask this all in your name. Amen.